Chapter Twenty of *The Cave in the Mountain* by Edward Ellis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty, Sut's Campfire. But where are Lone Wolf and his warriors? Asked Fred. Back yonder somewhere, replied the scout indifferently. They came over into the woods this side of the pass to look for the Kiowas that had been picking off their warriors. It'll take em some time to find the varmints, I reckon. It's myself that would like to ax a conundrum, said Mickey, provided that none of the gentlemen present object to the scene. Sut gave the Irishman to understand that he was always pleased to hear any inquiry from him, if he asked it respectfully. The question is this. How long are we to keep tramping along in this style? Is it to be for one week or two, or for a month? The reason for me making this respectful inquiry is that the laddie and myself have become accustomed to riding upon horses, and it goes rather rough to make the change, as Jimmy O'Brien said when he broke through the ice and was forced to take a wash, after having done without the same thing for several months. This gentle intimation from Mickey that he preferred to ride was promptly answered by the scout to the effect that his own mustang was some distance away in the wood, but he was unable to locate either of theirs which they abandoned at the time they took such hurried refuge in the narrow ravine. "'But what's become of all the creatures?' persisted Mickey, who was anything but satisfied at this plodding along. "'Lone Wolf and his spalpeens did not ride away upon their horses.' No, which you may scope me if any of them are big enough fools to leave their animals where there seems to be any danger of other folks laying hands on em. When the rest of his band come over arter him, as they supposed in answer to their signal, they took mighty good care not to leave their horses where there were any chance for the cowers to put their claws on them. They rode off up the pace till they could reach a place where the brutes could climb up and join their owners. Then I'm to consider the question settled, responded Mickey, and were to tramp all the way to New Boston if the place is still standing. Of course we can do the same, which I take to be three or four thousand miles, provided we have the time to do it and ain't disturbed. Sut, after permitting his friend to hold this opinion for a time, corrected it in his own way. There ain't no use of trying to reach home on foot any more than there is of climbing up that wall with your toes. After we strike camp, we'll stop long enough to eat two or three buffaloes and rest, and while you're at that sort of biz, I'll light out and scare up something in the way of horseflesh. There's plenty of it in this part of the world, and a man needn't hunt long to find it. Are you satisfied, Mickey? The Irishman could not feel otherwise, and he expressed his profound obligation to the scout for the invaluable services he had already rendered them. Lone Wolf knows me, said Sut, making a rather sudden turn in the conversation. Me and him have had some tough scrimmages years ago as I was telling that Barnwell, or Big Fowl, rather, that has had the charge of starting the place called New Boston. I've got enough scars to remember him by, and he carries a few that he got from me. I have a style of sliding his warriors under when I run afoul of them that Lone Wolf understands, and he's learned long ago who it was that wiped out them two varmints he sent out to look round after me. 
Hello, here we are. As he spoke, he reached a break in the continuity of the wall to which they had been clinging. The opening was somewhat similar to that into which Mickey and Fred had been driven in such a hurry, except that it was broader, and the slope seemed more gradual. Simpson turned abruptly to the left, and they began clambering upward. It took a considerable time to reach the level, and when they did so, the scout led them back to the edge of the pass, which wound along fifty or a hundred feet below them. "'That's where we've come from,' said he, as they looked down in the moonlit gorge. "'And while that's mighty handy at times, yet it's a bad place to get couched in, as you found out for yourselves.' "'No one will dispute you, Soot, especially when Lone Wolf and a score of spalpeens appears in front of you, and when you turn about to leave, you find him and a dozen more in your rear. That was a smart trick, was the same. But if he hadn't showed himself in both places at the same time, we would have stood a chance of giving him the slip, as we had good horses under us. "'Can't always be certain of that.' Them varmints have ways of telegraphing ahead of you to some of their friends so that you'll run heels over head into some trap unless you understands their devilments and tricky ways. When we were in camp, said Fred, we saw the smoke of a little fire nearby. Was it yours? At war, replied Sut with a curious solemnity. I kindled that fire and nursed it. Well, it bothered us a good deal. We didn't know what to make of it, Mickey and I. It bothered the varmints a good deal more, which were what it were intended for. I meant it for a cow a signal fire, and if it hadn't been started about that time, you did some other grizzly bears down on you in the shape of patches. But it didn't help us all the way through. They came down on us a little while afterwards. That were accident, said Sut. A purest kind of accident, one of them things that is like to happen in which we don't look for, a kind of a surprise like. As me father observed when he found we had twins in the family, interrupted Mickey. The chances are ten to one that thing couldn't happen again, but luck just then were the other way. Lone Wolf and his men were on their way home and had no more idea of meeting you folks than he had a action me to come down and act as bridesmaid for his daughter when she gets married. Do you suppose he knew the suit? asked the Irishman. It isn't likely that he did at first, but the sight of the yunker must have made him suspicious, and arter he rammed you into the rocks, I guess he knew pretty well how things stood, and he were bound to have both of you. What made him want me so bad? asked Fred. I never understood how that was. The tall scout standing on the edge of the broad, deep ravine looked down at the handsome face of the boy to whom he felt attracted by a stronger affection than either he or the Irishman suspected. Bless you soul, my younger, that ere lone wolf that they call such a great chief, and I may as well own up and say that he is, is heavy on ransoms, and he ain't the only chief that's in that line. That skunk runs off with men, women, and boys, and his rule is not to give em up again till he gets a good round price. He calculated on making a good thing off of you, and I rather think he would. Does he always give up those, then, that their friends want to ransom? Not by any means. It's altogether as the notion takes him. 
He sports more scopes and top knots than any of his brother chiefs, and he never lets his stock run low. As them other varmints creep up onto him, he shoots ahead by scooping in more top knots, and there's no use of their trying to butt again him. He's way ahead of them, and there he's bound to stay, and they can't help it. Then he might have used me the same way, after all the pains he took to get me, just as like as not. He's as ugly as the devil himself. Two years ago, he stole a good-looking gal up near Santa Fe. He had a chance for the biggest kind of ransom, but the poor gal had long golden hair, and the skunk wanted it for an ornament, and he took it, too, and thinks more of it than any out of his hundred and more. Arter getting your home among his people, and arter he'd found out there's a good show for a big ransom from your father, just as like as not he'd make up his mind that the best thing he could do would be to knock you on the head and raise your hair. And he'd do it, too. Well, thank heaven none of us are in his hands now, and I pray that he may never get us. The three were still standing as close to the edge of the ravine as was prudent so that the moonlight fell about them. They were enabled to see quite a long distance up and down the pass, the uncertain light, however, causing objects to assume a fantastic contour which would have made an inexperienced person uncertain whether he was looking down upon animate or inanimate objects. They were on the point of moving away when Fred Munson exclaimed with some excitement, The country seems to be full of campfires or signal fires. Yonder is one just started. He pointed up the ravine and to the other side where an unusually bright star seemed to be rising over the solitude beyond. It was about a quarter of a mile away and its brightness such as to show its nature. Yes, that's one of them, said the scout in a tone which showed that he had no particular interest in it. "'Can you raid with the same manes?' asked Mickey, who was gradually accumulating a wonderful faith in the woodcraft of the scout. But the latter laughed. It would have been the height of absurdity for him to have pretended that he could make anything of the meaning of a simple fire burning at night. It was only when actual signals were made that he could tell what they were intended for. "'It's some of the patches, I suppose.' Lone Wolf is in trouble, but I don't know as we've got anything to do with it. The night is getting along, and we ought to be back to camp by this time. Without waiting longer, he turned about and moved back into the wood, followed by his two friends. It seemed strange to both of the latter that he could have left his Mustang so far away from the place where his self-imposed duties had called him to bring to naught the cunning of his great enemy— the principal war-chief of the Apaches. But the truth was, the camps of the scout and the redskin were not so widely separated as Mickey and Fred believed. He had selected the best site possible, and took a roundabout course in going to or from it, as he had more means given to him of concealing his trail. There were places where the soil was so rocky and stony that the foot left not the slightest imprint of its passage. They had gone but a short distance from the ravine when they encountered one of the very stretches so valuable to persons in their predicament. No grass or vegetation of any kind impeded their way, and it was like walking over a hard, uncarpeted floor. Making their way across this, they struck into a wood that was denser than any they had encountered thus far. There their progress was slow, but they continued steadily forward, talking but little, and then in guarded tones. 
about the hour of midnight, the camp of Sut Simpson was reached. End of chapter 20 Read by Thomas Rose